Hi everyone, this is Andrew Davies from Insight Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers. Today we are joined by Ivan Mortz. Ivan is COO and co-founder of Alphalyse. He recently presented the benefits and applications of mass spectrometry-based host cell protein analysis and why HCP ELISAs are insufficient for documenting product-related impurities. Let's dive in. Let's start with one here. We currently use an HCP ELISA and will need to bridge to new reagents next year. Can LCMS be applied for this? The short answer is uh, yes. So the long answer is uh, to bridge to a new uh, ELISA. You have to do a new so-called HCP coverage analysis. You have to compare the old ELISA with the new ELISA. What impurities are detected by the ELISA? Are there differences? What are the differences? Then we recommend that you use the LCMS analysis to get the names of these proteins that are covered and not covered. You also want to know what HCPs are present in your HCP standard used for calibration of your ELISA standard. Does that match your early process sample? You also want to know what are the individual impurities in your purified drug substance. Are these impurities detected by the ELISA assay? And mass spectrometry can help uh, answering all those uh, questions. So we see uh, mass spectrometry not competing against ELISA, but actually used as a supporting tool to, to select the best ELISA reagents for your product and your impurities, and also documenting that the ELISA is uh, fit for purpose for your clinical trials. Okay, great answer. This next one, I think, is, is a good follow-up to that, then. You describe them as complementary. How do the MSHCP levels compare to ELISA levels, in your experience? Well, if you have a very good ELISA, and your standard fits your process, and it covers most of the impurities, the number you get from the ELISA matches uh, normally quite well with the number you get from uh, mass spectrometry. You can say the ELISA method it is based on antibodies that are raised in animals. Some of these HCPs uh, are not immunogenic in the animal, so these HCPs not, might not be detected or only detected poorly. Mass spectrometry is a more, you can say, generic method. It's uh, cleaving proteins into peptides and the peptides hitting a detector. So it's uh, more generic. It measures more of the proteins. And then we, we use these standards to, to quantify the amounts it is a fairly accurate amount within this uh, two-fold range. So, okay. so a good ELISA and a good mass spec assay gives uh, fairly similar results. Okay, wonderful. What is the PPM range for the linearity curve? Detection limit of this method goes down, down to the low PPM range. So typically we can uh, identify and quantify down to between 1 and 10 parts per million for purified MAP products. Some of them are even sub-PPM. We have a special sample preparation method for these and we can go sub ppm for other types of products like vaccines they are more um, yeah dirty or crude you have lots of hcps large amount of hcps some of the covid 19 vaccines you have equal amount of hcps as a drug substance the upper upper range goes up to yeah hundreds of thousands of the ppm depending on on the product okay. so it has a linear range of uh, about four orders of magnitude okay wonderful I think that addresses one of our other questions, too, about the limits of quantification. 
A question here is, are there any recommendations for software to do the data analyses? And uh, are there any publications about, I guess, data independent acquisition, I believe? So software for this, yeah, different instrument vendors, they try to sell their own software. They also have independent uh, software providers that just develop software. They all work in different ways. So for protein identification across all these different software packages, it is recommended that at least peptides should be identified in a protein in order to, to consider it as a positive identification. If you use at least two peptides, these different platforms will give you the same identifications. Regarding the quantification, it is uh, more individual how uh, people are doing it. We, uh, we like here at Alphalize to use these, these intact protein standards because they take in all this variability into account. Some other people, they might use uh, synthetic peptides that are isotope labeled. They don't take the same preparation into account. Other people, they use drug substance peptides that are also internally as, uh, as calibrants. Yeah, so so there is no, uh, there are different possibilities. There is no uh, plug and play solutions uh, yet that you can just buy and use. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for that. Uh, next question here. How do you assess accuracy using the median standard curve approach when it encompasses two orders of magnitude? So for these, here I showed uh, on this we evaluate the accuracy on these seven standards. So we use the median response curve, and then we look for the deviation from the standard curve uh, of the standards. How close are they to the to the median response curve? So you can give an accuracy for each of the standards compared to the median response curve. And when we make a dilution series, we can do that in, in the different concentrations. You typically do a high, medium, low evaluation. Okay, wonderful. If, if you may, if you if you want a higher accuracy than this uh, twofold uh, median consideration, then if if it's one specific protein that's of concern, we we can do more accurate quantification. This requires you have this as a as a purified protein standard. Then we can make the exact uh, calibration curve and response curve for this protein. This could be an enzyme that you add during your manufacturing process. Could be, for example, benzonase if you use that in your process. So there are different ways to make it more accurate. So here I showed results from the generic method that's uh, immediately uh, applicable. I think you already answered this question, but the next question, which this leads into, is it also possible to quantify enzymes added during process development? And then I guess the answer is yes. Yes, it is. So, uh, and we can even that often you have it recombinantly in, in high amounts, so we can do very accurate quantification of this one. And this is actually one of the, typical problems that you may have, that if you add enzymes to your product, you also have to document the clearance of this specific protein to the authorities. So you have to have a specific assay for this protein that you are adding. Okay, wonderful. I think you've touched on this question a bit already as well, but did you create in-house DDA-DIA libraries for all of the expression systems? So the way we create these libraries, yes, we do. We do create a libraries. So the way we do this is we run each sample, create a library on each sample, not to miss the low abundant ATPs, for example, in the purified drug substance. And then we use this library to run the swath analysis against this library. So this enables us to do this very reproducible quantification of low amount ATPs. We don't have a generic library that we use for, for, all, for all samples from different products. We create the library on each different product. 
Okay, uh, wonderful. Here's a great question. Are there any difficult sample matrices for the LCMS setup? Yes, <laughs> and that's why we have uh, optimized this uh, SAMP preparation for many, many years to make it as robust, robust as uh, possible. Sometimes we still see these uh, matrix effects. So, for example, if you have a sample containing glycerol, you may have some proteins that are adhering to the glycerol. You also have samples where you have denaturing uh, reagents, for example, uh, inclusion bodies, if you use uh, guanidine hydrochloride to dissolve the samples. So these uh, denaturants will um, also interfere with the analysis. Detergents can also interfere with the analysis. That's why we evaluate the performance of the standards on each individual sample to see if there are any matrix effects that we should consider. Should we optimize the sample preparation a little bit or should we be yeah, cautious about uh, accuracy that we report for the, for the assay? Okay, wonderful. Here's a great question. Is it faster to develop and validate an LCMS assay under GMP as compared to a process-specific ELISA? Yes, it is. If you have to go and develop a process-specific ELISA, that will typically take you one and a half year, and then you have to validate it. That's a couple of years we're talking about. For mass spectrometry, the example I showed you with the COVID-19 vaccine for Bavarian Nordic, it took about four to six months for us to, to validate the method and do the GMP release testing. So that's definitely faster. I would say if you have a, an ELISA available and that's sufficient, it can be faster or just as fast to, to validate the ELISA assay. Mass spectrometry is uh, still complicated. Okay, wonderful. Another question here. How do you manage identified HCPs that are below the limit of quantification value? If it's uh, identified with two peptides, we will still uh, report it. We will uh, also report the quantified amount, but we will say that it is below a limit of uh, quantification. It is uh, still relevant to have the information to compare batches. It can still be, could be a problematic HCP. In many MAP products, you have uh, these uh, lipases that do, could degrade 20, between 20, even below 1 ppm. So you still want to know if it's there, but just below the yeah, 10 ppm uh, limit. Okay, we've got, I think, another one here. What were the reasons for selecting intact proteins for calibration standards? That was to take the sample preparation into account. So, so when adding these proteins uh, before any treatment, they will take any differences uh, in enzymatic uh, cleavage activity, uh, peptide purification efficiency. They will take in that into account and the uh, variability into account. And uh, that's what also you see on these uh, two uh, plots, that when we use the standards to normalize anything, we normalize most uh, variability away. There's no other way to, to get this kind of normalization. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.